Well, hey, Grace Chapel friends, here we are again on another snowy weekend in New England. Sorry we can't be together as we usually are on a Sunday, but glad we can connect by way of video. So maybe you're at home on this snowy morning watching in your PJs, that's cool. Or uh, maybe you're catching up with us later in the week. Either way, glad we can be together, glad we can connect. This is a really important Sunday for us. For one thing, we're still wrapping up our next generosity initiative. For several weeks now, we've been casting vision for the next couple of years and inviting uh, Grace Chapel folks to give towards that vision and to grow as uh, generous givers. And last Sunday was Intention Sunday. Uh, it was a snowy Sunday, so about half of us made it, but those of us who were here had a great day, and we declared our intended giving for the next couple of years. It was a really meaningful moment. If you missed that service, you can actually watch the message online, uh, or you can read a little blog post. I wrote about it as well. But we don't want anyone to miss a chance to be part of what God is doing here or to take this next step of faith. So simply like to encourage you uh, not to miss a chance to register your next intention, your giving for the next couple of years to the ministry here at Grace Chapel. So you can do that online. Just click on the next icon and you can register your intention or come back next week, bring your card with you. We'll have cards here. Mail it in if you'd like. We're hoping to hear from everyone who's a part of the Grace Chapel family. We don't want anyone to miss out on this important step of faith and be able to be part of what's next here at Grace. Now, just a reminder, all these intentions are confidential. They're held by our financial office, uh, but it helps us in our planning as we look toward the next couple of years, and it will be a great step of faith for you as well. So don't miss a chance to participate. This is also an important Sunday because we are launching our new sermon series, our Lenten series that we're calling At the Table. And with Ash Wednesday coming this Wednesday, we really didn't want to wait uh, another week. We didn't want to skip a sermon in the series. Uh, so we decided to take advantage of technology and offer the message by way of video. So here we are. Glad you can be with us and glad you can join us at the table. In the home I grew up in, the centerpiece of family life was the kitchen table. It was a big old farmhouse-style table made of rough-hewn, soft pine boards. It was held together with pegs and wedges in the old-fashioned pioneer style. And we'd come together around that table two, three, four, maybe more times a day. Breakfast and dinner, for sure, they were mandatory in my home. You had to be there to start the day and end the day together. But we'd find ourselves there at the table other times as well. Cookies and milk after school. Bagels after church on Sunday. A late night snack, bowl of cereal or ice cream before turning in for the evening. And that table, because we had it for so many years, bore all the telltale signs and scars of, of family life. There were some burn marks on the table where someone had put down a too hot pan. There were chew marks on the legs of the table where our neurotic dogs had worked out their anxieties. There was a deep, dark gouge right across the center of the table left by my belt buckle as I reached across the table to scuffle with my brother. If you look closely, you could see impressed into the soft pine the impressions of math problems and essays 
from homework done at that table without a magazine under our paper. Holidays, birthdays, board games, family devotions, family meetings, arguments over politics or theology, lectures from my father, counseling sessions, gripe sessions, they all happened around that table. And my guess is there's a table like that in your experience too. Wherever it was, whatever it was made of, tables are where life and relationships happen. It's where people connect. It's where relationships are nurtured. It's where decisions are made. It's where apologies are offered. It's where arguments are hashed out. It's where life lessons are learned. It's where family values are passed on. So it's really no surprise that on perhaps the most important challenging evening of his life, Jesus invited his disciples to join him around a table in an upper room the night before he went to the cross. Scripture tells us that Jesus went to some lengths to arrange this dinner, even setting up a secret password to be shared in the street leading to the location. The Gospels tells us that Jesus eagerly desired to share this Passover meal with his friends. Jesus needed to be with his friends that night. It was the final night before going to the cross. There were thoughts that, that he needed to share. There were feelings that needed to be expressed, lessons to be passed on. And what better place to do that than around a table, around a meal? As it turns out, the things that were said around that table, the feelings that were expressed, the lessons that were passed down, they weren't just for the 12 disciples. They were for us as well. Jesus knew that, in a sense, all of his followers, all through history, were lurking in the shadows that evening, that we would all be listening in on that conversation. The things he said and did that night were for our benefit as much as for those 12 so for the next seven weeks, we're going to be coming together around this table, learning what we can from that conversation. It's recorded for us in its entirety in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 16, often called the Farewell Discourse, and then John chapter 17, which is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, which came at the end of that dinner. What I'd like to do today is give you an overview of that dinner and that conversation to give you the big picture of what it's all about and, and then focus on one of those life lessons. In the weeks to come, we'll be taking a look at, at this conversation a chapter at a time. Now, we are eager for this At the Table series to be more than just a, a Sunday teaching series. We want this to be an experience, a, a community experience as it was for the disciples. And so for the next five weeks, beginning on March 1st, all of our life communities are going to be coming together for five weeks in a row to study this discourse and follow up on the weekly messages. And if you're not part of a life community, we're creating some special groups just for these five weeks. We're calling them table groups so that you can experience this lesson in community just as the disciples did. So I'll tell you more about how to do that at the end. But for these next few minutes, I'd like to 
I'd like to do more than just have you hear this conversation. I'd like you to feel the conversation. I'd like you to watch it unfold and, and, and the interaction that takes place around the table. So I have condensed this nearly 30-minute discourse into about 10 minutes. And I'd like to present it to you in a somewhat dramatic fashion. I'd like you to imagine 12 disciples seated around this table. In fact, I'd like you to imagine yourselves seated at this table on the far side. You're a part of this conversation as well. I'd like you to listen in on the conversation. Many of the words and phrases will sound familiar. They're some of the most beloved passages, the words that Jesus ever spoke. I'd like you to get a feel for the flow of conversation, for what's happening in the minds and hearts of the disciples and Jesus. Who do you identify with at the table? What questions do you resonate with? Which of Jesus' words are most meaningful to you right now? So after I take you through the whole discourse, we'll think together about the foundational theme of this conversation, the big idea of this evening. See if you can listen for it and figure out what it is. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was already in progress. The devil had already entered into Judas Iscariot, prompting him to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority over all things. He knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. He, he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not understand now what I am doing, but later you will understand. <laughs> no, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. <laughs> then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put his robe back on and took his place at the table. He said to his disciples, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, because that is what I am. Well, now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do for one another as I have done for you. When he had finished saying these things, he was deeply troubled in spirit. 
He said to them, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one he meant. One of the disciples, the one that Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. He leaned back and said, Lord, who is it? Jesus said, The one to whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the bowl is the one. Then he took the piece of bread, dipped it in the dish, and gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are about to do, do quickly. Now, none of the disciples understood what was happening. Since Judas was in charge of the money, they assumed that Jesus was sending him out to purchase what they needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. But as soon as Judas took the piece of bread, he went out, and it was night. After he had gone, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me. But as I told the Jews, so I now tell you, where I am going, you cannot follow. And so a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered and said, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but later you will follow. But Lord, why can't I follow you now? I, I, I will lay down my life for you. Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, 
Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus said, do you not know me, Philip, after all this time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you know that the Father is in me and I am in Him? Anyone who believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. He will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will keep my teaching. The Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me will not keep my commands. These words you hear, these are not my own. These words belong to the Father who sent me. All these things I have spoken while I am still with you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Counselor, who the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will bear even more fruit. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I keep the Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and so that your joy might be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends because everything the Father has made known to me, I have made known to you. If the world hates me, if the, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey your teaching. I have told you these things so that you will not fall away. 
I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when the Holy Spirit comes, whom the Father will send in my name, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus went on to say, In a little while, you will not see me. But then after a little while, you will see me. At this point, some of his disciples began saying to one another, What does he mean? We will see him and then we won't see him. And what does he mean by a little while? And does anyone understand what he's saying? Jesus could sense that uh, they were wanting to ask him about these things. And so he said to them, Are you wondering what I meant? I tell you the truth. You will weep and wail while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. A woman who is giving birth is in great pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth, she forgets her pain because she's so overwhelmed with joy that her child has come. Now is your time of grief. But you will see me again, and you will be filled with joy, and no one will take away your joy. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. And now we understand that you know all things, and you don't need us to ask you any questions. And... This makes us believe that you are from God. <laughs> so now you believe, Jesus said, very well. But I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when you will be scattered, all of you, each to your own homes. You will all leave me. But I am not alone. My Father is with me. I have told you all this so that in me you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And when he had finished saying these things, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Well, what a remarkable conversation, wouldn't you say? I mean, you can see we have a lot of important things to talk about in the weeks to come. Servanthood, obedience, the Holy Spirit, heaven, abiding in Christ, relating to the world. And today we want to get at the underlying theme of the entire discourse. What's the big idea of this evening, of this table? What did Jesus want them and us to understand above anything else at this table? It's love, right? Love. This table, this conversation, this evening, it's all about love. I mean, that's how the whole thing begins. Listen again to verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
So that's how the evening begins. And, and look now at how it ends. If we jump ahead to John 17, the prayer, which we didn't get to listen to, the last line of Jesus' prayer. Righteous Father, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The love you have for me may be in them. Of all the things that Jesus said that night, all the topics he touched on, surely the centerpiece, the recurring theme was love. Listen again to John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So here we are on Valentine's Day talking about love. I love when that happens. Our culture sets aside a whole day to celebrate love. It's not just about sweetheart kind of love, but if you have a sweetheart, you better make sure you get to it. But, but we spread love to everybody on Valentine's Day. We, we send cards to our kids and to our grandkids. We bring candy to the office and share it with our coworkers. We send cards to friends and family members around the country. We celebrate the beauty and the power and the mystery of love because we can't live without love. I mean, we know that. How many songs, how many screenplays, how many novels have been written about love. I mean, after faith, love is the most power, powerful metaphysical force on earth. In the same way that gravity keeps us tethered to this planet, love keeps us tethered to one another. But even if we get love right on this one day of the year, many days of the year, we get it wrong, don't we? We don't always love people the way they need to be loved. We're not always loved the way we want to be loved. There's some people that we find hard to love. There are times that we don't know what the loving thing to do actually is. So love is powerful and beautiful, but it's also mysterious and elusive. So given the tremendous power and mystery and beauty of love, it's no wonder that Jesus, on this most important night, when Jesus has the opportunity to share his final thoughts with his disciples and with us, he chooses to talk first, best, and most about love. It's not just any kind of love. It's a new kind of love. Did you pick that up in verse 34? A new command I give you, love one another. Now, my first thought when I read this was, well, what's new about it? I mean, the command to love is as old as Moses, all the way back in the book of Leviticus, thousands of years before Jesus. The people of Israel were told to love their neighbors as they love themselves. So it's not the command that's new. It's the love that's new. It's the particular kind of love that Jesus is talking about. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This was the kind of love the world had never seen before. The kind of love that would compel an esteemed rabbi to take off his robe, put a towel around his waist, and wash the smelly feet of his students. 
This is the kind of love that will compel an innocent man to lay his life down for the very people who were crucifying him. I'm intrigued by the opening line to this discourse. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. How exactly did Jesus show them the full extent of his love? Well, you certainly could make a case for the fact that the foot washing was a demonstration of that love. I mean, that's an ultimate act of servanthood, and we'll talk about that next week. You could certainly argue that his, his, his death on the cross on the other side of the dinner, that would be the full extent of his love, without a doubt. But I would also suggest that Jesus showed them and us the full extent of his love simply by sitting down at this table with his friends, arranging for this night, calling them to their places at the table, and sharing a meal and his heart with them, with this ragtag group of tax collectors, fishermen, and who all knows what else. They're really not an impressive bunch around the table that night, and that's why I presented it that way. I wanted you to pick up the, the, the interactivity and confusion around the table. They come off like, well, frankly, like a bunch of goofballs sometimes. I mean, Jesus says that one of them is going to betray him. And then Judas skulks out of the room. And the disciples figure, oh, he must be going to pay the check. Peter makes a promise that he can't even keep for the next 12 hours. Thomas whines, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Philip says a goofy thing. Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough. Seriously, Jesus says in the vernacular, how can you say, show me the Father? What do you think I've been doing for the past three years, Philip? Throughout most of this dinner, the disciples are scratching their heads trying to figure out what Jesus means and mumbling to one another, do you know what he means? No, I don't know what he means. You ask him. No, you ask him. And finally, toward the end of the dinner, they seem to get it. Oh, they say, now we understand. You know all things. You don't need us to be asking questions. This makes us think you came from God. <laughs> I would love to have seen Jesus' face in that moment. I don't know if he was laughing or crying. You see what I mean? I mean, look, look who's seated around the table. Judas, the betrayer, Peter, the denier, Thomas, the doubter, Philip, the, the dull one. But here's the thing. Jesus loves these guys. He wants to be with them. He wants to break bread with them. He wants to spend his final evening in their company. He wants to share his deepest thoughts and heart with them. He wants to entrust his mission to them. He knows, he knows before the day is, the evening is over, they will all fail him, every single one of them. He knows that. But you know what? He's, he's forgiven them already. He's already looking beyond their failure 
to who they can be and who they will become in the power of His Holy Spirit. He's already preparing them to carry on His work in this world, to change the world through them. Jesus wants to be with these guys so badly, He wants to spend eternity with them. He's going to heaven to prepare a place so they can be with Him. That's how much He loves them. But you know what? Jesus loves you too. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to sit at the table with you. He wants to teach you everything He knows. He wants to share with you His, his heart. He wants to invite you to join Him in His mission. He wants to answer your questions, even the goofy ones. He wants you to remain in Him and live with Him and join Him in this work. And when your work and His on earth is done, He wants you to spend the rest of eternity with Him in worlds beyond imagining. Friends, that is the best valentine you could ever get. Uh, the, the famous and esteemed theologian Karl Barth, one of the great intellects of the 20th century, was once asked what was the most profound theological truth that has ever been discovered. And without hesitating, the great theologian said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see, that's the power of love. When you are loved, it changes everything. When you know that someone loves you, someone desires you, someone takes pleasure in who you are, someone wants to be with you, when you know that, you can face anything. You can endure anything. You can bounce back from anything. You can become anything. You can become the person deep in your heart you've always wanted to be. You can take a risk. You can take a chance because you know you're going to be loved on the other side no matter what. Jesus loves you like that, like he loved those guys around the table. When Jesus was talking to them, he was talking to us as well. He was talking to you. That's why we want to invite you, invite ourselves to be at the table with Jesus and with each other for these next six or seven weeks. To, to learn everything we can from this esteemed teacher. Because here's the really remarkable thing about all this. Jesus not only wants us to experience this love and to be loved, He wants us to share this love with others. He wants us to love one another the way He loved us. He wants us to come together around tables. He wants us to share our hearts with each other. He wants us to delight in each other's company. He wants us to ask each other goofy questions. He wants us to figure things out together and have our aha moments. And He wants us to be gracious with each other and to forgive each other and give one another second, third, and fourth chances. Because the truth is, we're all, we're all betrayers. We're all deniers. We're all doubters. We all get it wrong sometimes. But Jesus loves us anyway. And He wants us to love one another in the very same way. You see, it's one thing to believe that Jesus loves you. It's another thing to feel that Jesus loves you. 
And I know some people who struggle with this. How do I know God loves me? Sometimes the only way to, to experience, to feel the love of God is to receive it from another human being, from a follower of Jesus who loves you in His name. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need to come together. I'm glad we can connect here by way of video on this particular Sunday, but don't let it be a substitute for the real thing. We need to be with each other in all kinds of settings. And when we do that, when, when, when we love one another as we are loved, two things will happen. First of all, we will be filled with joy. Filled with joy, Jesus said, and no one will take it away. Secondly, the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Now, wouldn't that be great? Imagine if, if, if the world knew that we were His disciples by the way we loved one another. What if Grace Chapel were famous for love? That's the promise of these weeks we spend at the table. Discovering, experiencing, and sharing with one another and the world this most remarkable love the world has ever seen. And so we want to invite you to come to a table during these 40 days. If you're already, already in a life community, then just lean into that. Beginning on March 1st, we're going to ask those life communities to meet five weeks in a row. Do everything you can to clear your schedule and to be part of it. And if you're not part of a life community, you can join one of our table groups. These are special groups just formed for five weeks. Maybe you just don't have room in your schedule right now, it feels like, to be part of an ongoing life community. Maybe you're not ready to make that kind of a commitment to a group of people. That's okay. But for five weeks, you can do it. So these are five-week groups that we'll form and set up at a convenient time and place for you so you can enter into this experience. You know, it's customary in the season of Lent to give something up, some snack or coffee or the radio or technology or something. That's a good thing to do. It helps you focus for those 40 days. But it can be just as powerful to add something to your life for Lent. A daily Bible reading or a daily act of kindness, something like that. We're going to invite you to add community to your life for these next 40 days, beginning March 1st. So you can go right online right now and sign up for a group. Just go to grace.org slash Lent 2015 or the next Sunday, next Sunday and the one after that, we'll be taking signups as well and we'll form a group and be ready to go by March 1st. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. We have lots more to discover and we talk about as we make our way through the rest of this dinner. I'm so glad we are able to be together for this time today. Let's pray for no more Sunday snowstorms, though. Let's pray we can be together on each of our campuses every Sunday uh, for the next weeks to come. And as it happens, you have a chance to, to catch up even or begin your Lenten season this Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the season of Lent. And we're holding a one combined Ash Wednesday service, all of our campuses right here in Lexington, on Wednesday evening. All the worship leaders from the campuses will be part of it. It'll be a great opportunity to worship, to pray, to reflect, to go to the Scripture, and uh, have a meaningful time as we begin our Lenten journey together. And then we'll look forward to seeing you together 
next time we can be here on a Sunday. Thanks for listening. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we are grateful that we're able to be together this morning, grateful that by your Holy Spirit you unite us as one people, grateful for your word which speaks to us even across miles and technology, grateful that we're part of a community, that we get to make this journey of faith together. We thank you for one another, Lord, for the richness that we bring into one another's lives, for the grace we're able to give and receive from each other. We want to lean more deeply into that in this season to come. Pray, Lord, that you might help us to create time and space to be with a group of people over these next days. And we ask you to meet us around tables all over the city. Above all, Lord, we thank you for your great love for us, shown to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to be with us to invite us to your table, to wash our feet, to die for our sins, to call us your friends, to invite us into your company, and to prepare a home in heaven for us for all eternity. We are blessed by this love. May we know it more fully and share it more freely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next time.